Good morning, everyone. Greetings from Ireland. Uh, if you're not aware already, uh, the storm that John Newton was uh, involved in, where he nearly drowned, was off the coast of Ireland. And John Newton uh, afterwards sailed up Loch Swilly into Londonderry and worshipped in the cathedral there in Londonderry. And uh, if you go to Londonderry, uh, you'll see a plaque uh, telling you about that. So um, John Newton uh, perhaps worshipped first when he was saved in Northern Ireland. <laughs> so so uh, it's great to be here. Um, our, week, uh, our, re- our Irish reunion is next weekend. Uh, we're having Daniel Moore speaking. We're looking forward to that. A warm welcome extended to everyone to come over and join us. We'll find somewhere for you to sleep. And you'd be very welcome. It's great that some folk from uh, the mainland come over to Ireland every year and vice versa. And I think that's uh, very healthy and uh, it's great to enjoy fellowship together. So our subject this morning is Jesus Christ, uh, full of grace. Uh, That little phrase, full of grace, which was uh, found in verse 14 of John chapter 1. So uh, we're going to be looking at different passages uh, this morning. And uh, if you're... Just turn with me uh, to them as we, as I highlight them to you. So in John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, uh, John tells us his purpose in writing his gospel. John chapter 20 and verses 30 and 31. And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. And John wanted to convince his readers of two vital truths. First of all, that Jesus of Nazareth was the Son of God clothed in human flesh. But secondly, and more importantly, to impress upon them, to convince them the absolute necessity for them to trust in him and in him alone for eternal life. He had an evangelistic purpose. And so in John chapter 1, he Uh, begins his gospel with those very familiar words which were read so well to us. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And in verse 14, he goes on to make this incredible statement. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. As it says in the NIV, the word became flesh and lived for a while amongst us. And we have seen his glory, the glory as of the only, the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. So the word who was God, the one who dwelt in heaven with the Holy Spirit and the father, the one who actually created everything, the word, that same word, the father sent that word into the world. He lived amongst us for a while as a man, namely the Son of God, Jesus Christ. He didn't cease to be God. He was God clothed in human flesh, the God-man, God incarnate. And someone has aptly put it like this. He became what he was not without ceasing to be what he was. He came what he was not without ceasing to be what he was, God incarnate. And John goes on to reinforce this in verse 18. Um, And he says this, no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten son, and that's the phrase he used in verse 14, the only begotten son who is in the bosom of the father, he has declared him. In other words, through the life of Jesus and the words of Jesus, he is revealing 
He is declaring, he is making known the heart and the mind of God. And in the rest of his gospel, John goes on to establish the credibility of these amazing statements he's made in his prologue, verses 1 to 18, um, by recording the words and the actions of Jesus. And so he goes on to talk about the signs and that little uh, that verse we read at the end and many other signs. And John says in the very last verse of his um, of his gospel, and, uh, and truly Jesus did many other things, and uh, we only have a glimpse of what he did. And it says in the last verse, if we were to, if he was to write, uh, I suppose that even the world itself would not contain the books that could be written of the things that Jesus did and said. But those things that are written uh, are for us to know and be convinced that he uh, is the Son of God. And so John talks about those signs and those miracles that Jesus did to convince people that he truly was the Son of God. And he did other actions that displayed his character and the mind of God and the heart of God. And he records the words of Jesus, uh, that when Jesus actually said himself uh, that he was the Son of God, for example, the I Am statements, and also other words uh, that revealed the character and heart of God. But one, John's great purpose and great motive behind it all uh, in recording what Jesus did and said was so that his readers would come to trust in this same Jesus, the Son of God, for salvation. And of course, Jesus, uh, John uh, spent three years in close contact with the Lord Jesus. He was one of the twelve disciples. He was one of that inner circle of three uh, who had uh, enjoyed closer fellowship with the Lord than the others. He describes himself not by name but three times in his gospel as a disciple whom Jesus loved, speaking of this additional special intimacy that he had uh, with the Lord. And when he came uh, to write his gospel on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, when he came to record what he saw, and that word, when we, he saw his glory, that word means gazed at for long periods. And John, it says in First John that he, he saw and he heard and he handled. And John uh, lived in close contact with the Lord Jesus. And when he came to record what he saw as revealing God's glory, the attributes that he highlights are grace and truth. Jesus Christ, full of grace and truth. We beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And when John talks about revealing God's glory, it's thought that he's alluding to a passage in the Old Testament when Moses asked God uh, to reveal his glory. And I think it's worth turning for a few moments to that passage, Exodus chapter 33 and 34. So Exodus chapter 33 and verse 18. In verse 18 it says, and he said, or Moses said, please show me your glory. And then he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. Uh, Chapter 34, verse 6. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth. Or as it says in the New International Version, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. So when John uses those little, that little phrase, full of grace and truth, to sum up the glory of God, the goodness of God, as seen in Jesus Christ, as expressed in Jesus Christ, he is referring to God's compassion 
his mercy, his grace, his faithfulness, his patience, and in particular, his grace towards uh, fallen mankind in salvation. So I'd like us to look at some instances in Jesus' life uh, where he acted in grace towards individual men and women to meet their spiritual needs uh, in salvation. Nothing profound, hopefully practical. And the first one is found in John chapter 3. And it's the story of Nicodemus. And here we see Jesus uh, showing his grace and revealing the truth to one who was uninformed. Grace in revealing the truth to one who was uninformed. We all know that Nicodemus was a highly educated man. He was a highly religious man but he was lacking understanding about true faith. And in verse 2 there, um, he says, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So uh, Nicodemus recognized, he perceived, uh, that the miracles Jesus was doing uh, were signs that he was someone special, but he was in the dark as to the way of knowing God personally. The fact that he came uh, to the Lord Jesus suggests that he was searching for the truth. And the Lord Jesus, who knew his truth, who knew his heart, answered um, Nicodemus' question. And he said, unless you are born again, you can't see the kingdom of heaven. You must be born again. And Nicodemus still didn't get the point. He still didn't understand. And so Jesus used an illustration that would be familiar uh, with Nicodemus uh, as a learned teacher of the law. In verse 10 of uh, John 2, it says uh, that he was the the teacher in Israel. So Nicodemus was a renowned teacher in Israel, and he would be familiar with this story, which is found in Numbers uh, chapter 21. I think it's worth just turning for a few moments to Numbers chapter 21. The children of Israel were in the wilderness uh, that started to grumble and complain. There's no food, there's no water, and our soul loathes this worthless bread, that manna that God had provided So the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and many of the people of Israel died. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he may take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and it shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze servant and put it on a pole. And so it was, if a serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze servant, serpent, he lived. And Jesus explained to Nicodemus that just uh, as those uh, Israelites looked to that bronze serpent on the pole, those who had been bitten um, by that deadly serpent, um, they looked and lived physically. So the Son of Man, talking about himself, the Lord Jesus, would be lifted up on a cross so that people with the deadly spiritual disease of sin could look to him and live. And he brought uh, the truth to one who was uninformed. George Whitfield was uh, a great evangelist in the 18th century, he worked alongside the Wesley brothers and many others. And the story is told of John Wesley, or sorry, the story is told of George Whitfield. When he was age 21, he came to preach. preach in a parish church in London, Bishopsgate. Quite a prosperous congregation. They came to church because it was their tradition to do so, but they largely appeared uninterested, and they were certainly uninformed as to the truth of the gospel. But as the young Whitfield got up to speak, 
He revealed to them their need and the Savior who alone could meet their need. And the the people listened in silence uh, as he spoke and shared the gospel of grace to them. And after the sermon, as Whitfield was walking past uh, the pews where the people were seating, it is remarked that you could hear uh, whispering people saying, bless you, because he had revealed to them a truth that they needed to hear and they were deeply grateful to him. And on another occasion, uh, Whitfield went to the King's Mill Colliery in Bristol uh, to see the miners there. Now, these miners were violent, immoral men. They were feared by the citizens uh, of Bristol. No one had a good word for them, and the churches of the day ignored them as well. But God had laid the souls of these miners upon the heart of George Whitfield. And, uh, he, and he said himself, he had compassion, just like the Lord Jesus did. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion, because they were sheep without a shepherd. They were lost. And so Whitfield positioned himself on a small hill, He was an open-air preacher. He had been barred from the the churches, and so he went into the open-air. And he he set himself on a small hill uh, uh, where the miners would be coming out of the pit after their their shift. And uh, as as they came towards him, and he had a big booming voice that could be heard, I think, for a couple of miles um, normally, and he was greatly used by God because of that. Uh, As he, he started to preach, and the miners started to gather, and before he knew it, uh, there were 200 or so miners standing before him. Their faces blackened uh, because of being down in the pit. And Whitfield began to speak to them. And he talked to them about sin, he talked to them about hell, he talked to them about judgment. And then he went on to speak about this friend of sinners, the Lord Jesus, who loved them and had died for them on the cross. And these men, who everyone feared, listened in total silence. And then Whitfield noticed something remarkable in the crowd. He looked once, he started to notice white streaks on black faces. One here, one there. And and as he continued to preach, uh, all over that crowd, there were these white streaks. And he put put himself like this. White gutters made by their tears down their black cheeks as they were moved by the message of God's grace. Ungodly but uninformed sinners to whom Whitfield revealed the truth of the gospel. And we need to do the same in our day and generation to take the truth of the gospel to the uninformed. And this year I was in beach missions in Kilkee and Ballybunion in the west of Ireland. You're all very welcome to come over. Beautiful scenery and everything else. And uh, at one, on one occasion I was speaking to a family group including a grandmother probably in her 60s. And we were just chatting away, and she said words to this effect. We just have to do the best we can, and everything will be all right. And I thought to myself, how do I answer this woman who spent a large part of her life uh, living and uh, clinging on to a false hope? She needed to know the truth. And I didn't know exactly how to go about it, so I shared my testimony with her, how as a 19-year-old person who had no interest in religion, in a friend's house, we were talking about what is sin, and he revealed to me, Romans 3:23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It wasn't a matter uh, of being, uh, it didn't matter how good we are, uh, we fall short of God's perfect standard. One sin is enough to keep us out of heaven, but that Jesus came, Romans 6:23, uh, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Just to get across uh, that message that we are sinners saved by grace and that they need uh, to hear that as well. 
the truth, uh, need to reveal the truth to the uninformed, to be a friend, to point people to Jesus, that they may look and live. Secondly, grace in seeking out one who was unacceptable. And this is the woman of Samaria, the woman at the well. John chapter 4. And it says in verse 4 there um, that Jesus needed to go through Samaria. It was the shortest route, but also because he had a divine appointment to seek out and help this woman. And this woman was an immoral woman. And that's why she came at the time of the day that she did when no one else would be around. She was unacceptable to the people around about her. And Jesus knew that as well. If you look at verses 17 and 18. uh, In answer to uh, Jesus' question, bring your husband. She said, I have your husband. And Jesus said, you have said well, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands. And the one whom you now have is not your husband. In that you spoke truly. Jesus knew uh, her background, but he was prepared to speak to her and even asked her uh, to help him by giving him a a drink of water. Jesus sought her out. He gained her sympathy and attention, and he graciously and gently showed her that she had a need far greater than water and that he was the only person to meet that need. The result, she came to draw water. She went away forgiven, a new start and a new life. And there are people in our society today, perhaps the um, down-and-out alcoholic that Roger reminded us about yesterday, uh, the drug addicts, social outcasts of different kinds, and I'm sure you could think of some in your own town, perhaps, or in your location. And such people are unlikely to come to us. They're not even aware of their need. But we need to find ways to seek out and reach people on neutral ground, as Jesus did, to get alongside them, uh, share the gospel uh, of forgiveness and new life. And it's very often these folk are difficult people to work with. They're unreliable. Often we can't trust what they say to us. And perhaps it's God needs to lay upon the heart of some here or in our land just to work with such groups of people. Uh, we need to show grace. Jesus showed grace, and we need to be those who share the message of grace uh, in seeking out to those whose society regard as unacceptable. Thirdly, Jesus showed grace in going to the cross for one who was undeserving. And we're thinking about the thief on the cross. We turn to Luke chapter 23 and verse 39. This is an incident that's not recorded in John's gospel, but it says in John chapter 19 and verse 26 that John was standing uh, by the cross uh, beside the mother of Jesus. And it's likely that he could have heard uh, this conversation. Uh, Verse 39, Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. So at first the two criminals mocked uh, Jesus like the rest of the crowd. But as the time went on, one thief came to recognize his sinfulness before a holy God. We are indeed justly, uh, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. He recognized that Jesus had done nothing wrong. He recognized him as the Lord 
who could do something about his need. And he called out uh, to Jesus in his great need and asked him to remember him. And Jesus graciously replies, Today you will be with me in paradise. Grace extended to an undeserving man, forgiven and plucked out of the kingdom of darkness uh, almost in the very last moment of his life. The grace of God showing to, shown to an educated, religious, but uninformed man, to the immoral, unacceptable woman, to the helpless, undeserving thief, just before he slipped into eternity. And our topic this morning, Jesus, full of grace. And Jesus' grace is limitless, limitless, reaching out to all mankind, to the great and small, the rich and poor, the religious and secular, the young and old, the whosoever, regardless of who they are and what they have done. And praise the Lord in his grace, he has reached us and he's reached out to us. And when we think about it, we were once uninformed before the Lord opened our eyes. And we've sung it this morning, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm fine. Was blind, but now I see. We were uninformed. We were once unacceptable to God. All our righteousnesses like filthy rags. But now we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. We were deserving, undeserving of God's acceptance. But we saw in Jesus one who had taken the punishment that we deserve. The dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in his day. And there may may I, as vile as he, and we are no better than that dying thief, wash all my sins away. But God's grace doesn't end uh, towards us with our salvation because the one who dwelt among us for a while uh, was taken by cruel hands to a man and crucified But he rose again from the dead and eventually ascended to heaven. And he is in the bosom of the Father. He is alive and he's still full of grace and truth to help us in our spiritual walk even when we fail. And finally, I'd like us to look at, fourthly, Jesus' grace in showing trust in one known to be unreliable. And that's Peter. Jesus' grace in showing trust in one known to be unreliable. Matthew chapter 26, verses 31 to 35. And this incident just happened before Jesus was going to be crucified. It was after the Lord's Supper. And um, Jesus was, all the disciples were gathered. And Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But Peter makes this bold proclamation of loyalty in verse 33. Even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. But Jesus knew better. He said, Assuredly, I say to you that this night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And we know the story uh, in the courtyard by the fire. And again, this is not recorded in John's Gospel, but it tells us in John's Gospel, chapter 18, verses 15 and 16, that John was there. He knew the high priest. He'd gone into the courtyard, he he arranged for the door to be opened uh, so that Peter could get in. And it's possible that uh, John witnessed these events. And as we look uh, forward into verse 58, 
uh, we know the story of a few hours later, Peter has indeed denied the Lord three times. And it says there in verse 74 and 75, Immediately a rooster crowed, and Peter remembered the words of Jesus who had said to him, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So he went out and wept bitterly. He went out and wept bitterly because he realized that he had failed miserably. But just a few hours earlier, Jesus had also spoken these words to Peter, and they're recorded in Luke chapter 22, verses 31 and 32. Luke chapter 22, verses 31 and 32. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, and note that he used Peter's old name, perhaps reminding Peter uh, of his frailty and his um, human nature. And he said it twice just to get the message home. Indeed, Satan has asked for you that you may, he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. So Jesus had warned Peter that this failure was going to happen. But he had also assured Peter of his prayers for him. That he would be restored. But more than that, that he would, use, that he would be used to help others. And in this moment of failure in the courtyard, I'm sure Peter felt that the Lord could never use him again. And he was so distressed about it. But not long afterwards, and again, we're going to look now at the last chapter of John. John chapter 1, we see the words of Jesus fulfilled. That promise that he made to Peter to restore him and use him again. John chapter 21. And it's interesting that Jesus spoke to Peter around a fire, perhaps reminding Peter of another fire. Peter denied the Lord three times. Three times he's asked to reaffirm his love. And to Peter, who had denied, to Peter the unreliable, comes these words, Feed my lambs, tend my sheep. He was given the vital task of feeding the flock of God. And what grace extended to Peter the unreliable. And Peter responded to it, didn't he? At Pentecost, he was bold and fearless, and 3,000 people were converted. Afterwards, he became a fearless preacher, teacher, leader in the church, and eventually martyred for his faith. And perhaps you have let the Lord down in the past, and we have all done that. Uh, and perhaps in your case, it's caused you, uh, hindered you from trying again. You feel so unworthy unreliable that the Lord could never use you again. But God in his wonderful grace will forgive. 1 John chapter 1 verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Uh, No matter what we've done, the Lord will forgive, he will restore, and he will use us again. Thomas Edison uh, was an American inventor. He was a genius. He had a hundred patents to his name. He invented the light bulb. And the story goes that the world press was gathered for um, the first demonstration of the light bulb. And Edison gave the light bulb to a a youth assistant, a young lad who was working in his laboratory, to take to the place where the demonstration was going to take place. And believe it or not, on the way to the demonstration, the young lad dropped the light bulb. And it was damaged. And they had to take it back to the factory or whatever, the workshop, and they repaired it. And the next day, all eyes were upon 
Edison, what was he going to do? And he took that light bulb and he gave it to the same lad. Imagine how that lad felt. He very safely, understandably, took it this time and everything was okay. How must that lad have felt the first time uh, when he dropped the light bulb? And how he must have felt the second time when he was entrusted uh, to it again? And Edison realized that there was more at stake than a light bulb. This young lad's esteem, his character, and uh, God in his mercy does not throw us on the scrap heap regarding uh, service. Uh, If we truly are sorry for things that we have messed up in the past, and we all have, uh, if we confess that, repent of it, just ask the Lord to use us in whatever way he will. Uh, maybe not in a great way. Sometimes we do things that perhaps would hinder us from service in, 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 in some ways, but the Lord can take us and use us again. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten, full of grace and truth. And our closing hymn includes these words. Just and holy is thy name. I am, full, am all unrighteousness. False and full of sin I am. Thou art full of grace and truth. Plenteous grace with thee is fine. Grace to cover all my sins. Let the healing streams abound. Make and keep me pure within. And God has provided a way for sinful man to be reconciled to a holy God. He has made a way for us to be made pure and kept pure within. And it is by grace. It is by grace alone through faith alone, in Christ alone. So let's sing Charles Wesley's great hymn, Jesus, lover of my soul, let me to thy bosom fly.